0: Hello, everybody. Mark Carlson here, SNIA Technical Council Co-Chair. Welcome to the SDC Podcast. Every week, the SDC Podcast presents important technical topics to the storage developer community. Each episode is hand-selected by the SNIA Technical Council from the presentations at our annual Storage Developer Conference. The link to the slides is available in the show notes at snea.org slash podcasts. You are listening to STC Podcast, Episode 151.
1: Hi, welcome to a session on the Redfish ecosystem for storage and uh, HPE's perspective on the open standards in Redfish storage. My name is Jeff Hillen. I'm president of the DMTF as well as a distinguished technologist with HPE and the CTO's organization. With me today is Scott Bunker, a server storage technologist with HPE. Quick disclaimer before we go on, this information really is a a snapshot of work in progress. For the latest information, uh, make sure you go out and check the respective websites. Agenda today is a quick background on the DMTF, and then we're going to go into Redfish. uh, What is Redfish? Why do we do it? Uh, a little bit about the general structure of basic Redfish, and then we'll go into storage support for local storage and then how RDE supplies that information for local storage, as well as some changes in uh, the latest release, 2020.3, to support NVMe, Swordfish, and then the, the fabric model changes that help assist in all of that. And then uh, Scott Bunker will go through HPE experience and, and direction as far as storage goes. So quick background on the DMTF. We're an industry standards organization led by an uh, uh, industry-leading company. a kind of a who's who of the IT infrastructure and cloud background. Um, we bake, make a, a wide variety of standards, everything from virtualization, cloud-based, network storage, servers, a complete list you can find on our website. We're nationally and internationally recognized by ANSI and ISO. And uh, we think our, our standards help enable The ecosystem to provide a more integrated and cost-effective approach to manageability through interoperable solutions. we have able to do simultaneous development of open source and open standards, and we appreciate the support of the DMTF board, which uh, really is a, a tremendous group of people that are interested in seeing this kind of work done in an interoperable and open way. Quick plug for the rest of the work in the DMTF, uh, we've got a lot of standards besides Redfish. Uh, SMBIOS is everywhere. It's been in every x86 machine shipped in over the last 15 years. Uh, there's another group called PMCI that's uh, handling the infrastructure inside the quote-unquote box, if you will, down at the uh, very low level, everything from Fru data to Uh, security protocol and data model, which has just come out, that's being leveraged by by PCIe, OCP, hd HDBase-T, and others. Um, There's all kinds of information down there about sensors and firmware update and monitoring and control. Um, So you can go check uh, those out at at the DMTAP website as well. And then historically, we had the common information model and WebM uh, for doing systems management in the past so a quick background on what is redfish uh, it really represents an industry standard software defined management for converged hybrid it and it's defined by the dmtf it's a restful interface and we chose a json format uh, in order to make sure that we all had one format that was interoperable it's schema backed but human readable um and a payload usable by guis that's because it's in json format most of your guis at least when we started can be run like JavaScript applications and pulling JSON data and making those uh, web web browser uh, components and GUIs uh, uh, enabled, we were able to do it with the same uh, API. It's extensible, secure, and interoperable. It's already an ISO standard and we're updating that now. Um, And we've got a developer hub at redfish.dmtf.org where you can find more information, whether you're a a business leader or a developer. Uh, We've got multiple tracks out there you can dive into. And learn more about it. Uh, we just celebrated our fifth anniversary with Redfish in August of 2015 um, and the initial um, release of Redfish was really aimed as, as a secure multi-node replacement for IPMI over LAN. Since then we've been doing releases about every four months three to four times a year and we've added a huge amount of, of additional support beyond rack mount blade HBC. Um, the scope now covers storage and networking and fabrics and data center infrastructure, power and cooling and facilities and and alarms and and liquid cooling and all kinds of other stuff. So, um, really has uh, um, expanded the scope over the last five years uh, to cover most of the rest of IT. Uh, it's shipping on every virtually every uh, industry standard server shipment today. Shipped today, and we think there's somewhere around uh, 35 million nodes out there with it on it. Um, we've worked with a bunch of alliance partners to extend the scope of Redfish. You know, DMTF, we've got a bunch of people that are, you know, good at one particular part of the ecosystem, but we don't know everything. Um, we came up with a pretty good data model, so we've worked with experts at SNIA to cover more advanced storage, and that's what Swordfish is. You'll hear more about that later on today. We've worked with OCP and ASHRAE to cover facilities, um, we've done some adaptation of the Yang models to cover Ethernet switching. We've worked with Gen Z and others to cover fabrics, and we've got more partners to work w- with as the fabric definition continues to expand in the industry. Um, we've got the parts that I talked about earlier with the PMCI workgroup, where we're bridging that gap between the northbound interface, which would be redfish that goes outside the box, with all the interfaces inside the box to make sure that we've developed a tight ecosystem for getting that information out and making it cost-effective for those that support our standards. We're working on replacing the host interface, IPMI. uh, KCS was the traditional host interface for servers. Instead, we replaced it with a uh, uh, basically a NIC, because your tools that work outside the box should work inside the box just as well. Why write the code twice? And then we've added on profiles and test tools to do... uh, uh, scope and integration performance, we've got uh, vertical use case checkers, we've got emulators, we've got schema converters, there's a, a document generators, there's a whole bunch more open source test tools that have been leveraged by various standards to help them extend the Redfish ecosystem with us. Uh, one of the successes for Redfish was this initial resource map. Uh, if you think about it in logical views, you've got a bunch of stuff on the left there, tasks, sessions, accounts, events, registries, all the things that an application uh, or a client would need for overhead that's kind of applicable to anything, whether you're building a fabric manager or a storage system or, or you know, a server or, or an aggregation of servers, uh, a bunch of enclosures. Those kind of session, uh, services are going to be needed by anything. And then we broke up the way you represent a server into three logical components. There's a collection of systems, a collection of chassis, and a collection of managers. The managers are the things that manage the chassis and systems. They kind of don't fall into those other categories. And yet they represent either software, firmware, or actual chips down in the box that aren't part of the data plane or the sheet metal. Um, They're part of the infrastructure, and you don't really want to represent those to everybody. Then you've got the systems, which is there on top, and that's you know the processor storage nick data plane view of the world. It's kind of a logical view because you know if you've got a composable system, well, it may be in different parts of sheet metal, or I'm on a bladed enclosure, or I'm a pizza box. You want that same code written for that system to work no matter how it's put together but you still need to know how it's put together. You still need that sheet metal representation to know power and thermal. And, you know, if I lost power, how, what does it affect? If I was, if I need to prepare for resiliency, what does that look like? And so the chassis model uh, extends all of that to provide that level of functionality for clients. Um, So I'm going to go uh, quickly into Redfish storage, the storage model, also known as local storage or server storage or Redfish storage or just what you get in the base server. Um, it's really made of three components. There's the storage, that's the representation of the storage system. It's got drives, volumes, and storage controllers. And your storage controller, at least for traditional storage, is really that that um, um, set of protocols used by the controller. The speed of the controller interfaces, manufacturer information, that thing that that controls access to and from the drives. When you hear about swordfish, you'll hear that that definition changed just a little bit. So please make sure you attend those, those sessions to understand the uh, distinction. And then you've got drives and volumes and drive represents the physical meat of the data. It's got manufacturer and part number and size and protocol and the blinky light and secure erase and, and those kind of things that are around what used to be a spinning uh, uh, um, piece of hardware. And then you've got the logical construct used and represented to the actual uh, workload that's running on the system, right? That's your volume, that's your LUN, that's your whatever name you use for it. That's what uh, Redfish uses as a volume. And that really does have the things that uh, allow the client to uh, access the system, encryption settings and things like that. So a volume can span multiple drives or be part of a drive. And so there's that, that logical aspect of it represented by volume. Here's what it looks like laid out under a computer system and under a chassis. Typically, although it's not required to be, uh, drives can be under a chassis. You could just as well have them under a storage controller. They can kind of live anywhere as far as URIs go. So that gives flexibility to the people that are implementing our standards. Typically, there is a storage element under a computer system. Um, and that's a storage collection, because you may have one or more storage subsystems in your computer system. Um, that storage subsystem is the one that contains the controller's information, as well as any redundancy information, either at the controller level or the storage system level. And then you've got the volumes and, under a volume collection direct, directly off the storage. Uh, and then the drives, you know, they're, they're going to be in the chassis, typically, Um, Although they could be hung off the uh, storage directly if you did not want to represent a chassis. But if you want to contain and and, and convey that information about power and cooling domains and what drives get affected by what temperature alerts, then putting the drives in chassis is the way to go for that. Um, Note that volumes are in collections off the storage resource. So. So now how do you fill all that storage stuff out without creating a lockstep firmware dependency between the management controller firmware and the storage firmware? And that's what Redfish device enablement is, is the PMCI work group worked hand in hand with the folks in Redfish to enable a server management controller to present all of that storage information without needing to change the firmware of the Redfish management controller, that BMC. So previously, all of the firmware had to be lockstep with whatever change went into the BMC. You changed the storage firmware, you had to change the BMC. And that became unsustainable because it really became an M times N problem. You know, the more controllers you have and the more adapters you have and the more ecosystem you have, the harder and harder the problem is either in a development or a support environment. So what we did was we created an adapter piece of firmware that's self-contained and self-describing and that includes value-add OEM properties And you can plug in and either it doesn't matter if it's a network adapter or a storage adapter or any adapter, a GPU. If it supports RDE and the management controller supports RDE, then when the request comes in, the management controller just turns it from JSON into this RDE uh, binary encoded JSON, sends it down to the adapter. The adapter cracks that packet, does whatever action it needs to sends it back to the management controller. The management controller just turns it back from binary to JSON and sends it on its way. The management controller needs to do very little with that information. And because of that, it really is just a broker. And all of these individual components uh, can really contain their own destiny and do whatever they need to do to support the product in place. So now I'm gonna go quickly over the changes in 2020.3 that we really put in place uh, for for NVMe. So first we have this new connection schema. We added it to the Fabric model and and as we were going through Fabric, we were looking for where do you put the type of, we had endpoints and that was what was originally in the model, but how do you know which endpoints are really connected with each other and how do you know the access rights that that connection represents? And so you know, if it's read or write or whatever access, and 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 we realized real quickly whether it was storage access to a volume or Gen Z access for IPC, we needed a way to show that connection to convey the information about the access rights. And so we added connection to the schema. We also broke out storage controller um, as an individual resource. Traditionally, it was an array inside the storage object. And what we realized is when things like uh HPAs were around, that worked really good because it was one storage controller per storage ecosystem. But when we started to look at NVMe and NVMe OF, oh man, now the controllers are created and retired as host connect and disconnect from NVMe targets. And that array would expand and contract with different elements inside of it, potentially changing over time. And that's really better off represented by a collection of storage controllers. And so we made that change as well. We added a bunch of other stuff, too, that I'm not really going to go into. You can go out on the DMTF website and take a look at them. We added endpoint groups to Fabric. Um, That was really uh, something that um, uh, turned out to be handy that Swordfish did for mapping and masking and was really more scalable as you got a connection. You can do a connection between endpoint groups. And that way, your members of your group can come and go, and you don't have to go create you know a whole bunch of collections. So it's much more scalable. Storage is also off the service route. If I'm doing a JBOF, I don't have a computer system. So how do I represent my storage enclosure? And so we decided to hang storage off the server route. We added indicator LED on drive because drives have blinky lights too. Um, we added Ethernet for fabric and that was in works before we started NVMeOF, um, but it turned out to be a pretty handy thing to have in place. Um, port. So everything in the ecosystem, switches and everything else, used a, a, a class called port, except for our advanced uh, controllers that were NICs, network device function and and network interface network adapter, they used something called network port that had almost the same properties. And it started to become an interoperability issue where some properties were on port and they were named different things on network port. And we decided, you know what, let's just make everything port. And then we had added InfiniBand to the advanced NIC model. One last change we did in 2020.3 was we extended the Redfish Fabric model for NVMeOF. When we started the Redfish fabric model, we wanted the same fabric model, whether it was PCI, SAS, Gen Z, CXL, um, Ethernet, InfiniBand, we didn't care. And they all kind of are represented the same way or can be. And that's a really simple representation with a fabric hanging off of the root that has switches. And switches have ports. And fabrics can have endpoints, and endpoints are mapped to ports. That and, and then you've got zones, where i have got a collection of endpoints that are allowed to talk to each other. And so zones kind of represent routes, and endpoints represent the logical endpoints, not necessarily where the cable ends, more like where the protocol stack ends, right, uh, because – you know, it's one thing to go port to port to port, but I also need to know where I'm ending up inside of my infrastructure, logical infrastructure. You know, am I ending up in a VM? And, and, and so when you start looking at the way things are really managed on fabrics, they kind of go up to an L2 to L4 layer. And so we needed a fabric model that did the same thing. Um, quick side plug. Uh, We're working with the uh, Open Fabric Alliance on an Open Fabric Manager framework to use the Redfish uh, Common Fabric Model as the northbound interface for that fabric management framework. And so if you have any interest in anything like that, go ahead and take a look at the Open Fabric Alliance. That work is just now kicking off. And and they're totally open. So um, um, it's a really interesting way to run a standard. So we did a few additions to the fabric model. Um, We added the endpoint groups that I talked about earlier and that really is just a collection of endpoints. It's got a few properties um, with respect to like mapping and masking and and we're adding some for memory access as well. Um, um, And really it's, it's a much better way if I have a connection, an individual endpoint Every time I want to add something to, connect to to that access, I've got to create yet another connection and another connection. And really that's not kind of the way things are really managed, especially not in Swordfish. They're managed through endpoint groups. So we added that as well. And then we added this uh, thing called address pools. And that was done for a different reason. That was really to show address allocation. Subnet. Everything, every one of these endpoints in this address pool, or everything in the zone, I want it to have this kind of an IP address, or this kind of a Gen Z address, or you know, here's how I would manage my subnets or or other addressing groups. And uh, so so that's all represented with address pool. So we added the address pools, connections, and endpoint groups. Uh, and endpoint groups was donated from SNEA again to uh, address scalability and mapping and masking for storage. If you have any more informa- uh, need, need for any more information, go ahead and check out the Redfish Developer Hub, uh, redfish.dmtf.org. That's where all the schemas and schema index. There's there's documents out there: the schema guide, and the schema supplement, as well as the specification. Pointers to the GitHub for all the open source tools, message registries, uh, permission registries, other documentation. We've revamped the website. Uh, Lately, so that when you get there, if you're a CXO and looking for high-level information, that's easier to find. If you're a developer and you want a deep dive, you can do that, too. We've got multiple mock-ups of different kinds of systems out there. Um, more are being added all the time. And then we've got a user forum that you can connect to. There's both a Redfish forum and a Swordfish forum that you can get to, where if you're not engaged with the standards, or even if you are, Put your questions out there. We address them every week. We give them the highest priority, and um, we're really, really uh, pretty happy to have that communication with our user community. So, um, And there's white papers and presentations and YouTubes and much more information, so that's a, that's the next logical step to go for more information. So in summary, Redfish, along with the DMTF working groups and our alliance partners, really is working to define interoperable software-defined hybrid IT management. So for whether it's servers, storage, networking, power, cooling, facilities, buildings, it's, it's all being driven around that model. We're really solving the problems for modern composition for resource managers. I didn't even go into the composability model. And then we're cl- plumbing the system inside the box to get all that information, as well as enabling through SPDM and other protocols uh, a zero-trust model within the platform. That does it for my uh, portion of the talk. Uh, Next up, I'd like to introduce Scott Bunker, HPE technologist.
2: Hey, thank you, Jeff. Uh, welcome, folks. Uh, thanks again for watching this uh, talk today. Uh, Jeff, it was an impressive amount of work going on in the DMTF work group. I can speak for Hewlett Packard Enterprise and our customers that uh, we are absolutely delighted with the work that the community has put and the efforts that they put into uh, not only the Redfish uh, subgroup, but also the PMCI subgroup. Um, they value the contribution in terms of uh, uh, ease of use uh, for the Redfish data model, for the commonality. Uh, we see a growing number of, of uh, not only customers and partners, uh, third-party integrators uh, using Redfish to um, manage uh, uh, systems in their data center. So, um, you know, we we at Hewlett Packard Enterprise are, are uh, you know, fully behind the uh, DMTF efforts around Redfish. And what I'd like to do today is share with you the journey that we've been on and uh, kind of give you our uh our uh, personal corporate perspective on why we see the value and advantages for adopting these standards okay, so to share with you the perspective that that we have we we have to start from the beginning um, when whenever I started in the computer industry uh many years ago uh, there wasn't a whole lot of platform vendors out there. Um, we would have ideas around management uh, of the options that plug into our servers. And, um, you know, a lot of times the, the, you know, ideas around management come in from the BMC team and we try to figure out a way to harvest that you know, through our suppliers. I uh, definitely want to do things like uh, thermal monitoring, uh, but also, um, you know, you know, uh, produce alerts. And so over time, the number of ideas around management have grown uh, in the industry. Um, so our original thought was we would create uh, platform specs. We would uh, create a, uh, you know, non-disclosure agreement. We would share them with suppliers. Um, sometimes it could involve, you know, NRE payments with the supplier in order to, you know, uh, accommodate, you know, a spec that we created. Um, and it scaled very well for us in the original days uh, across multiple, not only suppliers, but technologies in the, in the industry. So Jeff can advance to the next slide. Over time, uh, we have noticed that the number of platform uh, suppliers that are out there have have also grown phenomenally, uh, and we uh, observed uh, what this has caused to our suppliers. And so uh, the downside is if every platform uh, provider, like Hewlett Packard Enterprise, behaved this way, we would we would overtax the resources that our supplier has in order to develop a quality product that satisfies the entire industry. So the next slide. So, you know, the natural thinking is, well, why not have the supplier own that technology and create their own spec and send it to the platforms under NDA? And a lot of times this could be a, 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 um, a spec that defines an API between like a BMC and an option card. Uh, or it could be a n- number of other things. But the thinking here is if the supplier provided uh, the spec and the technology, uh, we would solve the problem with the supplier scaling across multiple platform vendors, and we could accommodate um, the interface uh, and that it would uh, scale um, well with our suppliers. Next spec. But the problem that that creates is just, just like how we saw earlier with uh, platform uh, proprietary specs being sent to the supplier. The same holds true for supplier proprietary specs being sent to the platform. Uh, we at Hewlett Packard Enterprise have lots of suppliers that span across multiple um, uh, technologies uh, from ray controllers to networking adapters to um, fiber channel adapters and GPUs, accelerators, you know, there's lots of technologies scaled, you know, almost as a matrix across multiple suppliers. And so if we got into, you know, got into this model of receiving a custom spec that um, is radically different from supplier to supplier, we we would have to have a very large BMC development team in order to make sure that we keep a quality, you know, interface and in the end result from the customer experience is they would see, uh, supplier based nuances, uh, going, you know, at, um, in feature sets coming through our platform. Uh, we don't, we don't think that this is, uh, necessarily scalable or, or sustainable for the industry. Jeff, Next slide. Uh, what, what we see as, uh, as, as a way to move forward as an industry is working together. Um, Hewlett Packard Enterprise uh, works well with our um, competitors, with our suppliers. We all work together within the DMTF forum in order to create open standards. Uh, the open standards, uh, both out of the Redfish Working Group and the PMTI Working Group, um, scales well. Uh, we kind of get out of the model of either party creating a proprietary spec and going around knocking on doors to get harnessed developers that could uh, develop these these standards that, that don't scale well if we all support the open standard then we all benefit together uh, if the platform in purple supports an open standard then all the suppliers that support that open standard uh, gets um, natural support um, uh, through the open standard and they don't have to um, necessarily ask the platform vendor to uh, connect to the standard in order for their value to uh, flow through. Same is true for a supplier. It doesn't matter if it's an old supplier or a new supplier that's emerging. Um, if they develop their product, their option card, if you will, to uh, the open standard, then they get to scale across all the platforms that support that open standard. So it really is a time point where the where the industry as a whole can come together and, and develop these ideas um, together. And we, we see our customers benefiting because the outcome of this is standardization. Uh, they, they see less differences from platform to platform. And so it, it makes our customers' lives easier. As we, sh- as we see the world tilting into open, um, a lot of uh, option cards are going to be uh, built uh, based upon OCP standards. We're seeing that are, that already with OCP Next. Um, those cards that are you know designed toward a standard cannot have any sort of proprietary interface in them. You know they they would design toward an open standard. And then similarly, platforms built upon open standards like Open BMC needs to be looking for open standards in order to integrate. So DMTF is kind of you know playing in the middle to to uh, you know bridge these two worlds together and p- provide a standard by which open option cards developed through SCP could work with uh, open platforms developed with open BMC in mind. Jeff, next slide. So give an example of, you know, the types of standards that play out in the DMTF that um, HPE uh, and our customers find value that kind of fit this model of collaboration and work within the industry. Um, We talked about the two working groups within DMTF. We've got the Redfish uh, Working Group, which uh, I think recently hit its five-year anniversary, uh, matured its model. You know, we've seen a lot of adoption. Uh, with that, and it supports our uh, HP platforms very well. Um, on the bottom side of the slide in blue, you see a lot of the efforts coming out of the PMCI working group. Um, this, this is a very active working group. There's uh, you know, not only a transport layer that can uh, be layered up, up on top of multiple physical medium, like SMBUS or PCI-VDM, but there's also these data models that have proven to be um, very useful and they work. Uh, it, you know, kind of highlight a few of them. Uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprises uh, manages our NVMe drives along with everybody else using NVMe MI. Uh, that is a way in which we do health monitoring. Uh, we inventory the drive. We can create Redfish resources using the NVMe MI model. Um, and uh, you know, it's also would, would work well. You know, for uh, flashing drive, flashing drive. Firmware. But this is really meant for direct attach in the ME drives. As we shift to the right, you see uh, the PLDM, all the various PLDM models. So, to walk through that, you know, uh, Helipack Enterprise has found value in the PLDM Type 2, which is otherwise known as DSP0248. That model is uh, very useful. It's a sensor model um, that we use for collecting temperatures of the option cards of drives or even sub-enclosures that are inside of our servers. Um, PLDM Type 2 is, is a great industry standard model for collecting those sensors within the server and doing something with them for fan control or um, feeding into various layers of our of our BMC for health monitoring. Uh, as we shift over to the right, PLDM Type 5, otherwise known as DSP0267 um, is a great standard for flashing the firmware on the option cards. Recently, there's a version 1.1 of that spec that allows us to flash firmware of downstream devices like dry firmware, enclosure firmware. SNEA created a device called UBM, the universal backplane manager. Uh, HP has uh, fully adopted UBM as our standard for our backplanes and we could use the the, uh, PLDM type five model for flashing uh, those UBM devices. Um, PLDM, the the um, PLDM type 5 model for flashing works well with the Redfish firmware update service. So we see a natural connection between the Redfish firmware update service that the Redfish team is working on with the PLDM type 5 model that the PMCI working group is working on. As we shift over to the right, Jeff mentioned uh, PLDM type 6. This notion where option cards in general, no matter if you're a NIC, a fiber channel adapter, or a ray controller, or a GPU, you could host your own resources and unlock your own value. You know, so Redfish is, um, you know, and we, we call it an API, but it's a universe of things. It all, not only supports resources so that you can um, take a look at your server and, and look at the physical inventory as Jeff talked about earlier, but you can configure your server using common APIs uh, that are well-defined. Um, it also supports alerting. Uh, this notion that you can have a registry. Uh, recently, the uh, Redfish Working Group hosted a network device registry and a storage device registry that allows a common set of alerts that can be pushed through the Redfish subscription service to host uh, alerts that are pushed from the option card through PLDM type 6, known as Redfish device enablement. And then uh, there's also metrics. So Redfish has a telemetry service uh, which works well for hosting uh, metric reports and met- metric definitions and metric report definitions and trigger functions. And so uh, Redfish device enablement is a great way for an option card to host metrics that can be reported through the Redfish telemetry service. And finally, there's SPDM, which offers security for option cards that plug into our servers. Uh, the SPDM spec um, has tackled uh, some complex things in the industry, such as how to perform authentication of of an option card, how to do certificate management so you can prove the identity of the option card, and attestation so you can determine if anything has changed in the option card since it was manufactured or last checked. There are further improvements to the SPDM that uh, HPCs value in, which is this idea that uh, the BMC and the option card can pass session keys in order to create a secure transport using MCTP between the BMC and the option card. I can tell you that each one of these PLDM standards and SPDM standards that you see below work. The DMTF is producing quality specs that um, we have actually implemented on our systems. We fundamentally require them across all of our suppliers and, it, and we see it as a way to unlock the supplier value. So that the suppliers can now um, step up their game uh, in competing. They could uh, host uh, Redfish configuration. They could offer new services, um, uh, ha- have it piped right through the BMC. Our BMC here at HPE is called iLO. Uh, they can provide their services right through our, our our BMC interface without our iLO without our iLO development team having to do additional work to support that. Because, as Jeff said, the Redfish device enablement model is transparent, which means a supplier can transparently provide their value without us having to um, keep the BM, you know, the BMC, which is our iLO, uh, kept in lockstep with the firmware version of the option card. Next slide, Jeff. So to kind of uh, share with you a, a picture. Of um how this PLDM type six with Redfish device en- enablement plugs into the ILO uh Redfish uh management hierarchy. Uh, you can see that uh you know we you know there is a storage instance that plugs into the existing storage collection for our platform. Uh everything in gray here is hosted by the option card. So this is all part of the Redfish device enablement. These are PDRs that are um uh each one has a RDE dictionary, if you will, and it's a way to just plug in to ILO. And then what go you know all the properties that are inside each one of these resources uh, with verbs such as get, post, patch, delete, um, that transparently flows through our ILO and interacts directly with the option card. So for storage, um there is uh drive, there's volume collection of volumes where you can uh create, you know, you know, um, volume elements, and you can interact with it to flex your storage over time. Uh, The storage controller collection, as Jeff mentioned, is now brought out separately as a separate resource. There's the um, port collection. And the way that we model the backplanes that these option cards are attached to, the UBM backplanes, if you will, is by modeling uh, the backplane as a chassis and plugging that into the chassis collection and modeling the cabling between the storage controller and the backplane as a fabric and allowing the RDE device to plug that into our fabric collection. So we have uh, tested out this technology, it, it works. Um, didn't seem to take a, a tremendous amount of effort, uh, but there's a lot of great tools out on DMTF that, that help with creating the dictionaries, with um, um, assisting uh, both our internal ILO team and the suppliers to develop. The beauty of this was we developed the interface within our ILO code base to support NICs and fiber channel and local storage and several other types of options. And by developing that once, we we now see the benefit of scaling. So, you know, suddenly all all of our suppliers are allowed to plug in to the Redfish device enablement and naturally work. Uh, And we see it scaling across not only the suppliers, but also the technology types. And what's not shown here is the other elements such as metrics and alerting, which are also supported through the RDE specification and also work quite equally well. Next slide. So uh, this is a you know Hewlett-Packard Enterprise vision of what's next. Um, you know, we, we look at the needs of our customers and um, we want to work within the community to um, uh, we've already completed the initial storage device message registry. Uh, That is a great uh, uh, specification that helps us to generate industry standard storage alerts. This is going to work well for local RAID controllers, for locally attached NVMe drives. Um, It's got all of the basics that are needed in order to send an alert about storage. There are enhancements that we could do as a community to that storage device message registry, and HPE welcomes the community working together to create alerts that our customers mutually want. Hot spare management. Uh, We need the ability to, you know, today we have the ability to create a spare drive and map it to a volume, but we really need a more dynamic uh, way to add and delete spares that are already assigned to a volume so that we can do spare management after the server's been initially deployed. We also see a need to be able to decommission our servers. Um, Our customers, you know, not only want to deploy their servers, but oftentimes when they reach end of life, they want to decommission the server. And so we want to look at all of the elements that are within Redfish and make sure there's some kind of um, action or command that could uh, tell the the product to erase all the data and go back to factory defaults, if you will, to facilitate, you you know, providing the customers with that security that all of their configuration details and, and personal information have been removed from the platform. We also see the need to enhance um, SED encryption within the storage model. Uh, today, there's already uh, a lot of great properties and attributes within Redfish storage, um, but we need to do some enhancements such that we could um, specify remote SED support Uh, in in addition to the encryption password, we need to be be able to provide attributes like the password hint that goes along with that. And so HPE would like to work with the community to enhance STD encryption. And finally, we see the need to provide, uh, to work together to provide storage device metrics. Uh, For local storage, you know, a lot of these metrics are coming about volumes or for drives. Um, For drives, we want them to be fundamentally rooted and some of the log pages that we see naturally coming out of out of uh, SAS drive technology or ATA drive or NVMe drive technology um, where the drive supplier has its own metrics. We want to create a storage device metric where we could then um, transparently provide those metrics to the customer, again, using Redfish device enablement and ultimately map to the Redfish uh, telemetry service for delivering those metrics to external clients. So that's a quick perspective on uh, Hewlett Packard Enterprise and how we have seen value and uh, you know made great use out of the efforts out of multiple DMTF work groups. And uh, I'd like to turn, turn it back over to Jeff to uh, close this out.
1: Thanks, Scott. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching. I'd like to point you at a few other resources. Uh, you can head to snea.org slash swordfish to get the latest on the swordfish standards. Um, there's the Redfish Swordfish forum out there if you have any questions. Uh, then, of course, you can always join and help drive the standard through the uh, SSM Twig in uh, SNEA. And there's a lot of other things that SNEA offers as well. I'm sure you'll see those in other sessions. So thanks again for watching, and um, hope you enjoy the conference.
0: Thanks for listening. If you have questions about the material presented in this podcast, be sure and join our developers mailing list by sending an email to developers-subscribe at snea.org. Here you can ask questions and discuss this topic further with your peers in the Storage Developer Community. For additional information about the Storage Developer Conference, visit www.storagedeveloper.org.